Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I have to tell you, uh, this, this Sunday is the Super Bowl, and I'm very excited. I'm having my annual Super Bowl party, and Joanne's making the meatballs. And it's great when you're older, because when people come over, they just bring tons and tons of food and tons and tons of alcohol. So I can get like a 12-pack of beer and like a bottle to do shots at halftime. And then I'll end up with like 18 six-packs in my house and vodka and tequila. But what cracked me up is when I went to the studio today, I stopped. And this, I never knew this, but seven it's like 7-Eleven is now catering Super Bowl parties. Not catering, but they have all these ads. Like, you can get a dozen wings and, and a big pizza for like 10 bucks. And for me, I never thought of getting hot food at 7-Eleven and they have all different combinations. So I guess the Super Bowl is, you know, it's as it gets big, I mean, it's always been huge, but as, as these companies know they can make so much money off it, they just start catering it. And that's the last thing I ever thought was if someone came to my house with a 7-Eleven pizza, I'd sort of be a little bit pissed off. But anyway, I have a great guest today. He's a, And he's a Seattle fan. So we're going to start off talking about football. It's Ben Weber. Hi. How are you? Thanks, Steve. Now, does everyone ever call you Weber? I, don't, I understood that. They, yeah, I know there's a Weber state, so sometimes yeah. I get that. But, but more, it's just the name. The one B, two B, ordering a pizza is always a problem. Exactly. Now, yeah. now, now you grew up. We said you, you grew up in Seattle. That's right. And now, um, I don't know how old are you. Uh, I'm gonna be forty two okay. this May. So you were um, when Seattle Seattle made the Super Bowl. How many years ago? That was in two thousand and six. Okay, so you could really enjoy it. You weren't a kid, so you could really enjoy. Because I'm an Eagles fan. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's just been hell. I mean, we've never won one. You guys have never won one. And I right. think what what's awful is, I think if it, more people are rooting for Denver because they want to see Peyton win. For me, and this is not, I like Peyton. I would rather see Denver win just because being an Eagles fan, I hate people comparing Eli Manning to Peyton Manning because there's nothing. But for you, I mean, have you been going crazy? Because in the beginning of the season, you guys were favored, but then you know how that is. You're not, you don't know what's going to happen. There were, yeah, there were a lot of games that were really, uh, that were tough to watch. And I, and I should preface by saying I am I am primarily a basketball guy so I got my heart ripped out when the Sonics left and that was really really tough um, and they're the only people in Seattle to have won a championship I grew up watching those guys football was you know it was playing the kingdom it wasn't you know a sexy the sexy sport that it is now and uh, and that was really hard and I think it's been really good for Seattle to have something else to cheer for because like it was a everybody went to a dark place it was like you know they put all their attention into Major League Soccer which <laughs> which is yeah. uh, you know a dicey <laughs> prospect and and uh, but this is obviously real it's legit and this season has been good although every game has been sort of a heart attack game for me to watch well now you said you're, you're more of a basketball fan yeah now is that because you're you're taller you're probably six two six three yeah i mean i don't know what Did it was but we we played basketball and i don't know the sonics i remember the sonics having their their uh their ticker tape parade or whatever they called it when they won the championship and that just they always felt like the real team in the city and yeah, Jack Sigma. Yeah, he, used to be, he looked like Frankenstein. He had like All that Dutch boy haircut. DJ and it, it was crazy because yeah. I was, you know, I'm I'm 50, so I'm a little older than you. Yeah, but uh, back then, like the Sixers were great. But I remember sitting there, and Seattle was one of those quiet teams because back then, if you're from back east, and this is God's honest truth, because I don't even think the Mariners or Seahawks were around when I was little. You really didn't know what Seattle was. There was no hockey. You knew it was a place that they had basketball, but it was, and but this is before Starbucks and before the micro brews. So growing up back east, you really had no idea if you were like eight years old and they said where's seattle you'd be like uh, is right. it a state yeah yeah it um i think seattle sort of the sonics helped really put us on the map and um and it was really 
it was really awful what happened. I mean, those guys coming in and trying to act like they were going to keep the team there. And there was a lot of bad guys. You know, the, the mayor was a bad guy and Schultz, you know, I, I will never go back to Starbucks um, after, you know, being sort of a champion of it when uh, when I was like going to college and stuff. But I mean, Howard Schultz totally sold us down the river and uh, it was awful, man. It, it was really awful. And, and uh, I've sort of adopted the Clippers because we live out here and I don't want my kids to just root for, just root against everything and just be right. angry and, and inherit that anger. So, uh, so that's been good. But yeah, football has been a good, been good to focus on as well. Although I, I feel like sort of a bandwagon guy, even though I'm, I'm from Seattle and I'm going to watch, you know, every minute of the Super Bowl. So now, now as a kid, you know, it shows you, you like basketball, but now as a kid, did you, were you into acting and comedy as a kid? Cause I know you ended up becoming a stand up. as a kid, when you were a little kid, was there any influences or was there something that you said, I'm going to do this eventually? Yeah. Well, you know, Seattle was a great place to grow up because it had a theater scene uh, it's probably more known for its music scene especially in the 90s but it had a really great theater scene and it had a really great improv scene almost like chicago and it enabled a kid who was into theater but then also just wanted to be funny and have fun to take improv classes when you're in high school in eighth grade and i got to take these great classes from this teacher named matt smith and one of the students in my class was joel McHale. okay he's out of seattle and it was all these other really you know talented kids but then there would also be like boeing engineers and you know people that were like electricians and so it was like this great great place to to learn comedy, a great safe environment, you know, and I just don't think a lot of kids have that. And it kind of put a chip on my shoulder coming out of Seattle because when I got to college, I was like, I don't need to study this. Like, I, I have been studying it. Like, I know uh, it gave me a little bit of a, I uh, had a little bit of an attitude about it. What were some of your influences though, when you were a kid that, that pushed you that way? Did you like to watch Saturday Night Live? Yeah, I mean, watch, Saturday Night Live, you know? I stayed up, I watched Saturday Night Live. I mean, that to me, that seemed an attainable thing. Like, you could be on Saturday Night Live just like, well, no, I shouldn't say that. Show business seemed like a distant dream. It seemed way out there, but it seemed... Um, I remember watching all those episodes, staying up all night uh, to see those. And and, uh, and and Seattle, actually, we had our own local show called Almost Live, um, which Joel McHale was a part of. And so that was even sort of like a little stepping stone. So I think through that, you kind of saw a path. It didn't seem like this this crazy far off you know fantasy um and so that yeah that was definitely the goal i think early on was to to be a writer and to be funny and do that kind of stuff so you went to college now where did you go to college um well i went to very small private school in seattle um and after the just that like 12 years of of that experience i wanted to do something big and different and so i went to a big state school i went to the university of colorado for two years okay um and i started an improv group there and uh and that was great because i really i was just an english major and i got to kind of do my own thing and in a big school like that you can kind of really make it whatever you want out of that experience and we started rehearsing and and putting up shows and and having some success with it and it was really it was great um and at the same time, they had a stand-up comedy competition. Okay. And I entered the comedy competition. Now, had you done comedy before besides doing the improv? Because it, it, it's, it's such a difference, because I know, because I did stand-up, and I the, the only improv we'd do is there used to be a club in Florida called the Comic Strip. And the one night, you would, you would get booked down there, it'd be a two-week gig. And the one night, they would have an improv group. But after the show, they would let the comics go up and do it. So that was, we didn't know the games, we didn't know, but we sort of had an idea. But... 
but to improv because we work with the crowd, but we did shitty improv. Right. But for you, was, had you, had you done stand up before, or was this your first time on stage? It was my first time on stage doing stand up, and I guess it was a little easier because it was just in this club at the student union, and you know maybe there was fifty or sixty people there, um, and so I I don't know what made me think I could do it. It was funny. I was drawn to stand up only because there was no rehearsal. You just showed up. Right. <laughs> you didn't have to wait for other people. You didn't uh, have to bring anything. You didn't it's have like, to bring yeah, no you props, just, yeah. anything. Like I, I, I really like that a lot. And um, I don't know what made me think I could do it, but I got up there. I guess it was because I was in Boulder, Colorado, and it, it's a pretty you know safe, welcoming place. Um, so I did it there, and I had success, and I was like, wow, this is this is also fun to do too and i also realized around that time like i can't go to school here for four years i can't go for five years to the university of colorado or i will you know want to go to new york or la and i'll get off the bus and i will just be clueless so um i transferred to new york and i went to nyu and and had you been in new york before or was this your first time i've never been to the east coast before so you had no idea i had no idea if people out there if if you don't know and it's and it's funny because people all over the world listen to this show and they don't know about you know everyone thinks oh the u.s just the u.s there's such a big difference especially from seattle and colorado that is are very very hip laid-back towns to the philadelphia where i grew up near and in new york where there are hip people but there's a lot of unhipness and there's not anything laid back yeah i don't think i thought coming from a progressive city i would be prepared for it but not at all it was uh my first night in new york my mom flew out with me to sort of help with the transition we stayed in this hotel up near the park and um i remember the night before my orientation we stayed up watching a movie and and drinking from the mini bar and uh i ended up sleeping through orientation the next day and like <laughs> getting to school so what was your major at NYU? uh i was an english major which is is kind of meaningless uh you know the film schools and law school and like all that that's really where it's at english you know it was basically like a a community college it was a commuter school for long island students at that point um but it got me in new york and i got to be friends with Jay Moore. Okay. Um, I knew, I dated this girl who was on a TV show with him a million years ago. And um, What TV I, show? Uh, a show called Camp Wilder. Okay, I know the, the thing about Jay is that people, a lot of people don't know, Jay started doing stand-up when he was 16 in, uh, right. in New York and then Barry Katz yes. and stuff yeah, yeah. like that. And um, yeah, so everyone thinks, oh, you know, because now they see Jay and it's there. But Jay, I mean, he was on the Foxworthy show as a kid. I mean, Jay's been around for a long time. Long time. And, and he is, I mean, uh, he actually gave credit to um, Roger Cabler, uh, a comic, that Cabler actually was the first to do the uh, walk-in, but Jay Moore is known as the first person to do the Christopher Walk-in, and now right. everyone does it. Yep. And that's what's funny, when I feel bad when he does it, because everyone's probably like, oh, a guy doing a walk-in. It's yeah, like, no, it's coming his. late to the party. That's, that's yeah. his. He's yeah. done it for since he was 16 years old, and that's what made him a great comic, if you got to know him. He, did, he would do an Andrew McCarthy impression. He yes. would do different, and not Andrew McCarthy, the dictator. We're talking Andrew McCarthy from St. Elmo's Fire. Yeah. He would do impressions that no one did, and that was so cool. Yeah, he... He, I was walking through Washington Square Park, and I run into him. And I have no, I'm in New York. I know that I want to do stand-up comedy. I don't know what you do to to, right. to make that happen. And I run into him, and uh, it was really great because he's like, "Hey, man, you know, I'm doing a show later tonight at the Boston Comedy Club, which Barry Katz owned at the time." He's like, "Come check it out." And uh, I was like, "Great." And um, I saw his show, and uh, of course, I was always already a fan of his. But then he told me. 
um, you know, this is how you do it. You can work here, and they'll put you on. And the the door guy at the time was just leaving, and that was Neil Brennan, who was who was going on to go do um, In Living Color. Right. And so uh, Jay helped me get the door guy job at the Boston Comedy Club, and then you know how that is like at the end of the show I got to put myself on for five minutes right and it's, and like, it's great though because you, you don't have to go through the whole pass I, mean, I, I, I did it in uh, Philadelphia we worked the door and we took tickets and we got paid five dollars an hour under the table but when it was open mic night we got slotted like everyone else had to pick out a hat but we knew if you worked there so we were like hey we'll come in a week and plus on a weekend well few was more because New York's every night but you got to see so many great acts and you just yeah. really learn like you would see these headliners who would come and do 45 minutes at Don Myrera or Tim Allen right before he blew up and it was invaluable because you would watch them and say like wow and that's when you really feel like you're part, even if you're only doing you know two nights a week you're just you're part of the business yeah yeah, and everybody's there watching you, and they stay, and and you get to know everybody's routine, and and uh, so Jay was um, was really great, and it was around that time in the let's see mid nineties where um, Jay started working on SNL, and Norm Macdonald was there, and and David Tell, who was like a you know he started working on the show, and it was kind of a weird moment for me because I had wanted to be on Saturday Night Live or do something like that for so long, and then I saw these guys go kill themselves for Lauren all day at at Thirty Rock, and then come back and do you know five right. minutes at the Boston Comedy Club, you know, and it was like whoa, they were so happy to get out of there, and I was like whoa, that's really crazy, like this that was not a happy environment, and so. I was pretty psyched to have a place where I could work out, and and um, and so I just did that for a long time and really focused on it, and and it was great. And I remember Jay first getting SNL, and he was so freaked out, and he was like, "I got to write a sketch, you know, an opening sketch, you know, you got to help me out with this." And I was like, "You're asking me, right? For, you know?" <laughs> and I, but it was cool. I felt like, wow, I'm one guy away from SNL, and I think those things they sustain you you know when you're living off of you know rice and beans in new right. york and you're in the shitty that apartment. happened to me I mean, i had gotten out of business for a very long time but i was living in san diego and i was just going stage every once in a while down there but my ex-wife really didn't want me to do comedy whatever but i remember daryl hammond who i'd worked with in uh richmond virginia at a comedy club he was in san diego and he gave me his number yeah you know you're always a good writer of course you call they never call you back yeah but it keeps you going like you're once you get that like little closeness like well wait maybe and it's that that glimpse like that feeling you get when it's like oh well maybe there's a chance that yeah. I will write a sketch and it's different when you're younger because you're so wide open now yeah. you're more skeptical but that must have been great for you it was I remember one night we did the show there was like five people in the whole audience but there were these two girls down in front and they were really into it and afterwards they came up and talked to me afterwards and that never ever happens like it it <laughs> seems like that's why you I thought yeah. I was getting into stand-up comedy for this scenario but it never ever happens and Jay saw that and he really kind of like took me under his wing after that. He was just like, you know, you and it was it was great. I mean, he is a uh, he is a he can be a tough customer, but, you know, it kind of taught you the realities of the length you have to go. I, some of the sacrifices you have to make. I, I've heard on the other hand, though, he's sort of just like a big frat boy. He's like so nice. Like he'll just sit there and pull out his penis, you know, just like stuff you'll do when you're totally, 15. Totally. And that's what's great because he's someone who has reached a very good level of success. And a lot of people don't know, you know, Jay's been in serious movies like the with the, the one with Jennifer Aniston and stuff like that. And even, right. you know, uh, Burt Sugar, whatever, in uh, Jerry Maguire. Yeah. He's really had a, a 
career and now he's on radio yep and it's amazing because he's seems like he's always stuck to his guns i mean you know you don't think jay moore who's going to be you know talking and ripping everyone is going to be on the pet whisperer or whatever show he's yeah. on because, yeah, yeah, yeah. but that's what's great he's really sustained his career and did it his own way yeah I, it's so funny too because like i can't think of like we couldn't be more diametrically opposed you know like i'm this whatever and he's big jay moore and and yet, you know, there's something that you can learn from that, you know, and it was, it was, he, he was like, that was my first break, you know. So he was mentoring you. Yeah, a that, little bit. A and now were bit. you doing, were you doing a lot of, were you getting out of town in New York or were you just staying in New York? You know, I was staying in New York and I think I had a sense then that like stand up wasn't going to be my life forever and ever and ever. Uh, you know, I remember talking to Todd Berry one time about it, and I was like, you know, I think I'd like to try some other stuff in addition. And he's like, nobody leaves stand up. You don't leave stand up. And I remember thinking, like, well, you know, maybe I can do this and something else. And, and I got really lucky. I got a friend of mine, Randy Perlstein, told an agent who was becoming a manager to come check out my show one night. And it was one of those funny moments where I was at home with my uh, girlfriend at the time. And, you know, you kind of with stand up, you kind of wax and wane with your. And I was at this point where I was like, oh, I, 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 I hate it. And yeah, uh, you get was, so tired. Of, you think you have to go on stage and do this bit again. And I literally was like about to get high. We had just made this big dinner. And this guy, uh, Jason Steinberg, called me and he said, hey, this woman's down here. She wants to see you perform. Can you come down here right now? And I was like, oh, man, like I'm, you know, and I went down and, and the woman ended up being legit and she saw my act and she ended up working with me as a manager. And um and it was great. It was why you do stand up instead of a play because it's it's more, it's whenever you know. It's not just like oh, we worked on this thing. Come see right. my play. It's stand up. It's like whenever, the opportunities are whenever you can be there. And so that's why I really am like wow. I'm really glad that I you know stuck it out with that because it it's it is hard. You know there are lots of nights when there's two people there. Right. So she signs you. Yeah. And now do you tell her that you sort of want to veer out of stand up or yeah, how you do you know, cuz it must be I oh. didn't know anything. I was literally like, "Okay, great. So you're going to start booking me as a stand up. What's going to happen?" And she was like, "No, you you have some theater experience. You know, I've done improv. I've I had this great teacher in high school. She's like, "I'm going to start just standing sending you out, you know, on auditions and stuff." And uh and that was great and she's like if you want to keep doing stand-up you know you can do that as well and so i did focus on acting kind of from that point on i was like okay i'm gonna really give this a shot i've got a great agent and she got me um and she worked really well with this manager and uh i got a job right away which was called twister which was that disaster the big movie with Helen yeah. Hunt? The movie. Yeah, exactly. Now, where did they? Sh where did that shoot? That was like fifteen weeks in Oklahoma. I mean, it was nuts. Now, how did that come? How did that come about? I don't know. It was just one of those things. You know, I went in for it, and it was. You know, they don't really make those kind of movies anymore, where you go on location for that long, and it just was like summer camp. You know, it was just the greatest thing in the world. Uh, the only thing that was weird about it is that the day we landed was the day of the Oklahoma City bombings. So okay, that was real weird um but we um it was a good experience and i i don't know i guess when it came to auditioning i was a little because of stand-up i had a little bit of a fearlessness in the room i didn't really care and so i was able to book some stuff and and well that was the was twister a big part no 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 that was like a, i was practically like a Excuse me, I was like an extra in it, but, but it was such the whole a, time. But it was like a grad. It was like grad school. Okay, you know, it was you got to see up close how Helen Hunt worked, how Bill Paxton worked. Uh, you know, I worked with Sean Whalen and and uh, all these great people, and it was it was summer camp. I mean, we literally like you know 
we uh, I bought a car that summer that I drove around and you know I had a girlfriend on set and it 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 was summer camp it was really really great so when that's done yeah it means you have to go but you go and then what yeah. did you do with your apartment did you Phil, sublet it Phil Seymour Hoffman was in the movie and we used to play basketball together and he's like your on set relationship like it's not going to work like I give it you know six months and I was like that's really depressing why <laughs> and, I, and he was totally right I moved back to New York after camp sort of wrapped and and yeah it didn't last very long so now you're, you're now you're auditioning you're not, yeah. are you are you not for commercials then too or just uh, well you know it's kind of funny I do a lot of commercials now but in New York I maybe booked like four commercials in eight or nine years and and I think that's because the sort of the sensibility of the commercial kind of changed a little bit it went from like a pitch man to a more everyday kind of guy well now I see in your resume yes Sex in the City. Yeah. Now, how did that come about? Because it's so funny because, you know, and I, not because, you know, girlfriends, ex-girlfriends watched it, but, you know, when you watch Sex in the City, the funny thing, it's a really funny show. And it's, and everyone says, I didn't see the movies because I heard they were a little hokey. But it's so funny how many actors have been in it. Like, you look at boyfriends or different people, you look and it's just a list. I mean, they yeah. had like, someone put on Facebook like the 50th, 50 most sexy roles. Yeah, and, like, oh, I didn't read that at all. No, it's just, I didn't, did you, did you? <laughs> of course yeah. I did. Uh, but it's like, no, no, you're, you're, you were Skipper Johnston. That's right, yeah, now, yeah, yeah. Now, I don't, who did you, did you, how did that come about? Did you well, have to audition so was, a lot? Well, or? yeah, so they shot a pilot for HBO and um, the pilot was a little bit tonally, a little different than I think what we were all familiar with. It wasn't quite so jokey. It was a little bit more like Bright Light Big City and it was based on Candace Bushnell's book and there was a character Skipper Johnston who was in the book and so I did the pilot and the pilot was kind of funny timing because I had just met my uh, fiance or my wife at the time and um, I was I was meeting her parents for the first time and they're like pretty conservative like western Pennsylvania right, okay. and <laughs> HBO doesn't have a long track record with original programming at this point you know so I'm like telling them I'm on the show that has sex in the title on HBO and it just it all sounds super <laughs> dicey and and then um, we shot the pilot waited like six months or something and my agents like yeah you this got picked up it's it's going to uh, series and I I didn't even know what that meant you know it was, it, it, the cable networks were sort of this uncharted territory I was kind of like oh man I really want to be on a network show or something you know that that uh, that people That's actually much bigger. watch yeah yeah um, <laughs> But I ended up doing six of the twelve episodes, I guess, that we did the first year. Now, were you were you a love interest for anyone? Yeah, I was Cynthia Nixon's okay. love interest, and it was so great working with her, and it was really amazing working with uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, who, you know, I'm not a real actor; I'm really an English major, and so you know, it was. But the scenes that I have with Sarah Jessica Parker, like, you know, her energy was so great and so infectious. Like, I felt like I didn't have to do anything. But when you when you were on that, and they just after a season, they just you were done, right? They just but that happens because guys come in and things. But did you ever have any idea when you were on that that how big of a phenom it is? Because like right now, I guarantee you, if I put up on Facebook, like I'll, if I put Skipper Johnson. I guarantee every woman I know will know exactly yes. who you are. Right. I mean, did you ever think that this this show, when you're doing, yeah, it's great. Cause did you think it would just become? I mean, it was it was like a woman round. I mean, it was a point where if they drank a Cosmo, yeah, Cosmo. If we if they drank something called Bird Crap in Heaven, yeah, everyone at the bar, every single woman and married woman would be drinking Bird Craps in Heaven. Did you ever think that when you got involved in it? No, I mean, no, really. I mean, it seems so. And I, as a guy, I was also like, I had heard that HBO was also doing this other show called The Sopranos, you know? And I was like, okay, that's a show I'd watch. I wouldn't watch this show about 
people making fun of right. shoes and living in New York, I didn't relate to it at all. But then we would go to the table reads and you would do these episodes that would be about anal sex and you'd be like, wow, this is this is cool to be part of something right. that's <laughs> never, groundbreaking and they're not shying away from it. You know, they're not like... Uh, and, and that was that was definitely cool. And and so after the pilot aired, I remember being on 57th Street in New York, and I just finished having lunch with a friend. And I remember this guy in a suit came right up to me. It was like, "Hey, man, I saw you last night. That was amazing." And I just was like, "Whoa, this was really." And it's so funny because as a comic, you don't really get noticed unless you're on TV. What was that like for you? Like all of a sudden, people and now did people start noticing you more as a show? Was getting, getting it was still a pretty slow build. You know, it wasn't like, okay, I can have a meeting with anybody after the season one of this. It was still, it took a little while to gain traction. And I think, I don't know, it was really, uh, it was hard. I think they also sort of found the format of the show, which is just bringing in all these guys. And, you know, it wasn't like, um, I think they kind of locked into that. And I Did think you make the, the top better. 50? Uh, there was one list that I saw where I was number 11. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Very good. So I don't know if we're talking about the same one. No, I there was one Peter, and I was Peter, like, uh, Peter, I'm not Honor, Peter Honorati was number 32. I That's think. very funny. I'm very ashamed to admit that I looked at that whole oh, You have thing. to, though. You have to, of course. And you're clicking. You're probably going, I'm such a dick. I, and you're like, but then you probably went like this, 11. And then probably yeah. in your mind, you're going, damn, just missed top 10. Yeah, just well, it. it was funny because I didn't, I wasn't with the show till the end so it was nice to feel a, a connection to it now and, and now, it was kind of relegated to a little bit of a weird place because I was like oh it would have been nice to have been with that show start to finish but at the same time you know like it was cool to do is it because it's on so much and it's and everyone knows it do you still get recognized from that like when people come up to you even just like I mean there is out, that, of, no, out of the blue like yeah. you might be just walking down the street somewhere oh my god skipper yeah it's definitely it's definitely there's a certain type there's a woman that, you know, I kind of know what it's going to be about, you know, like as, you know, 10 feet away. Um, but then you can get surprised too. You can get, you know, people who are just coming to it now who are 18, 19, you know, and so that's funny. And it's funny to see it kind of re through the prism of girls and to see kind of what they're doing with it and their responses to Sex and the City is its legacy kind of keeps going. So it's it's cool. So you finish that and then you're still in New York. Are yeah. You, now you're still doing stand-up? Um, you know, I had really stopped doing stand-up because I was like, I really wanted to try the acting thing and it just paid better. And I really was like, I want to just kind of give it, commit to this. And so I stayed in New York and I did pretty much everything that shoots in New York, uh, Law and Order and, and everything that's there. I'm not a theater guy, so there's not that kind of theater thing that that's really keeping me in New right. York. So I sort of start to think, well, you know, we could, I got married in 2000, we could go to LA and, and you know, have a little bit more room and, and kind of do that thing. So you decide to move. Yeah. Now, had, now had you been to LA before? Well, yeah, I had. I had dated a girl in college sort of through long distance that, that had been an actress out in L.A. And sometimes I'd, I'd go out and check her out. She was from Seattle. And so I kind of saw that, you know, L.A. was not for me right away, but maybe down the road. And so I did my time in New York, which I think is always a way to go. And then... Where'd I, you move to L.A.? I always ask people where their first apartment is, because mine, because I was still married at the time. I was going back and forth to San Diego, was on right off between uh, behind Holly, uh, between Sunset and Highland. There used to be an old uh, McDonald's on the corner and I was in a little studio apartment behind because it was 
because I still had a rent in San Diego, but I was only paying three eighty five a month. And it's always funny because some people like uh, some people come in and they don't know an area, and then they sit there and they go, "Holy crap! Where did you pick, or did you well, scout it out, or you I, just come?" I out? could have lived anywhere, but my wife was like, and very smartly, she was like, "We're we're moving to the beach. We're going to go to Venice because we lived in New York, you know." And I'm so glad we did that because even though it was inconvenient and that it wasn't, you know, you couldn't rub shoulders with anybody uh, important. It we put down roots and we built, you know, we found a real community there and we're still there. You know, we've been there for 10 years. Um, so that's been really great. And it was a little hard coming out. It was hard coming out. I didn't really know. Um, I kind of had to start over with my agent and everything else. And then I started getting sent out on commercials and I was like, ugh, this is so, this is so beneath me. Like, I don't want to be going over right. to the valley for a, for a stupid commercial. And Which is weird because now it's like what I say because I'm, I'm just getting back into it because I have an agent. I, never, I didn't do it for a long time. Yeah. But I'm the same way. I'm like, I sit there and it's like, even like when you do LA casting or those things and you go through and it's like, I go, ugh, it's in Culver City. It's gonna, it's at like, if it, the addition's at three o'clock, I got to leave at one yeah. to live in Burbank. But the same, but now luckily there's a lot of stuff on the west side now. Right. Well, and this was all before they, they tracked you. You know, there used to be, there wasn't like a scanning code that could tell you if you showed up. You used to be able to just blow off stuff that was in the valley and just right. not go to it. And that's how you were selected, you know. Um, and so I would go out for this stuff when I first got here. And I was like, I'm not America. Like, I don't look like America's pitch man. Like, I don't look like that guy. Um, but then there was this sort of change in the, the tone of these commercials and, and kind of the look of them. And they were sort of letting you do a kind of comedy that I wasn't being allowed to do on television, which was like a more physical and a more subtle and a more kind of organic comedy that I really, really liked. And some of these directors were smart. And, and guess what? The money was pretty good. And so I um, I did some pretty cool ones, uh, including the, uh, I don't know if you ever saw any of the Geico campaign, but I was one of the cavemen. Oh, you were one of the cavemen? Yeah. I did not know that. That's so funny because there was always the rumor, and maybe um, not one of the cavemen they said was uh, the Jim Rose or whatever, the, all that. There's this uh, freak circus that travels. Oh, right, uh, right. And that was, that was a rumor that Jim Rose was one of the cavemen. No. Okay, so not true. So now, how do, now how do they cast you as a caveman? Well, again, you don't go in with the makeup. Yeah, right. And that was a, that's a funny story because uh, I go to the audition and they're they're looking for like these Neanderthal guys, and I'm I almost didn't go in. I almost like looked at the sign in sheet, and I was almost like you know my meter's almost up, but I went in, and I'm really glad that I did because it turned out they were doing this thing where they're like it's cavemen. But they've got this sensitive side, and you know we definitely want to explore that. And I was like, okay, I'm on board. And I ended up getting it, and it ended up being these great directors. And we did the first commercial, and they're really open to improv and sort of. What I really love about commercials is I feel like when you do a commercial, like the right, like the idea is 95% there, and they're very open to that last five percent, you being a part of it, and and so I got to improvise on the day and and help tag you know some of the the spots and. I, it was really fun. What's the makeup process? Is it a long day? Because you have to have hair all you over work you. With, and you're, and you're, you're a clean guy. I mean, you have curly hair, but you're a clean cut guy, and you don't look like you're a hairy guy. No, no, no. They, it's all fabricated. They, This amazing guy, Tony Gardner, who just won an Oscar, I th or was nominated for an Oscar this year, I believe, um, did all the makeup, and it was like you had to do a, a life cast. And then on the day of, you'd sit in makeup for about two hours, and then... Um, once you got it all on, it was amazing. You you with 
they had this long hair and they put hair on your arms and the you know the protruded uh, brow and all that stuff and you kind of feel like a rock star you sort of feel like you know uh, like a 70s um, and and uh, we had to do one spot one time up and we shot up on Sunset Boulevard and I had to walk back to the trailer and I got all, all these people were honking their horns and I was like this is the coolest I'm ever going to feel did you do all the campaigns did you, um, were you the one on the motorcycle I was in a lot of them I was in okay. probably about 80% of them and then this TV show came along and it was really kind of a heartbreaker because they wanted to do it. They had a good script and they wanted to do it and they wanted me to audition for it. And I felt really, really upset you're about ca- it. You're the caveman. You're the one who's the people know yeah, the commercial. I, and it's not like it's, they can't crash on a look because whoever they bring is going to be look like a damn caveman. Yeah. And that must just get you pissed off. It was really infuriating. I remember talking to Greg Fitzsimmons, who lives in my neighborhood. Who's hey, Greg a, who's was a, on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a funny guy. And Very funny. I remember saying, like, I feel like I invented Ed Grimley and somebody else has just taken it and is doing it. It's like, you Blue, it's like you're like Blue Man Group. It's like yeah. it's instead of... But you know, it, but it's that that feeling like, oh, we can do it anywhere. And it was so. I went to test at the network, and it was so frustrating because they literally said, like, we don't think you're caveman enough to do this. And I really just had to, you know, let go of it and just be like, okay, like I just. And it turned out to be really fine because the show, I think, was got, probably a lot of work. Got panned. Got panned, and. I think in terms of, you know, time in the chair, in terms of makeup and all that stuff, like it was a lot more than what we do, which is a couple of times a year and the pay is probably just as good. So I was able to make peace with it pretty quickly. And then we started doing more caveman commercials and those guys, uh, Jeff Phillips and uh, John Lair. I mean, they're just so much fun to work with. And and we definitely like. But there's three cavemen. There are three. Yeah. There's actually a fourth one. He's uh, like the ben Ringo. Wilson He's the Ringo like, yeah. of the caveman. He's and like, they have another guy that just does like NFL games okay, and like so, okay. events and stuff because it's, you know. Um, so, but it was great. And uh, yeah. So as you're doing the caveman, or now are you still, you're going out in regular acting auditions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now yeah, are, yeah. are you booking stuff? For, yeah, I am. I mean, it, it, LA I, is. I'm sorry. No, I see you were in West Wing and stuff yeah, like that. Was, yeah, yeah. It, was that at the caveman time? Or was yeah, that I mean, different? it was really hard. I had this stand-up background, and I was, you know, had a couple of network spots on the air that were all really funny, but it seemed like Hollywood, television-wise, only saw me as like an hour-long sort of serial comic type actor. You know, maybe it was my HBO work that had done that. But yeah, you know, I did some cool stuff on, on West Wing and ER, and then I did this... Um, some other shows, but I was surprised. I was like, huh, I feel like my sensibility isn't quite, uh, there's sort of a disconnect here a little bit. Was it hard for you to cross over to the drama part? Because, you know, ER is very serious and, you know, and, right. and you know, West Wing, of course, yeah. is very serious. Was that something, because I know, I think a lot of times it's pre-codes. One, because you did comedy, and I always think that people who do comedy can easily pull off serious acting. And I just think because it's yeah. comedy, you're just, we're, we're more serious than, you know, yeah. actors. And also, because you did theater and stuff like that. Was it, but was it hard for you to sit there or was it, were you wanted, you wanted to do a comedy? I mean, um, West Wing was definitely tough. I mean, you're there with amazing stars, you know, and they've been doing this show for a long time. Um, ER, you know, it's a little easy. There's a dead body. You know, there's stuff everywhere. You know, I think comedy's the hardest because there's nothing there. You know, you're starting from scratch every time. And I think um, I think that's such a great challenge, you know, and I really enjoy that sort of collaboration. So, I, you know, I don't know. I really enjoyed all the the actors that I worked with and stuff, but it... it um, it is funny. The uh, I 
I think I've made peace with the commercial world a little bit. Like I've stopped being so angry about it, and I've really enjoyed the the opportunities that I get there. And uh, it did come from a place of anger, though. I think going to those auditions early on, I was like, I hate this. I don't want to be here. I want to be auditioning for a show. And I think something about that is a great place for an actor to go audition from, because you don't care. But then what also I think is great is that you know when the when you said when you did the caveman, you guys. Are, you're making some cash. So it's a lot easier to be like, oh, I hate this process. And you're biting the hand that feeds you. But it's understandable because you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. But then you're going, yeah, but when I do did a commercial, yes. I think you're one of those things where you didn't need to nail that commercial. And you were like, screw the commercial. But when you did get it, you knew what would happen. So you're probably like, this isn't bad. But then, but the best with the caveman is you're not going to get pigeonholed because you're in makeup. Well, yeah, if you actually a, look like a caveman, yes. then it'd be different. But that must have been great. Right, right, right. That was a great experience. And there was one other funny thing about doing that job, which was that after about six hours of of being in the makeup, I would start to have this recurring panic attack that there would be some disaster in LA and uh, that would kill my makeup guy and I wouldn't be able to take it off and I'd just be running around LA like people would be like, I'm not this guy. Like, I'm, um, fortunately, that, that has never happened. But um, yeah, it was incredible opportunities and I, I have been in that situation before where they've been like, we've had success with the commercial, let's try and see if maybe we can turn into something else. And I, I don't know. Um, but I, I definitely feel now like I love it. You you show up for a day, you do your thing, you go home, like it, it's great. And the money is, is definitely, it, it makes it all worthwhile. So now you're doing, the, you're after the caveman and after things, you ended up on uh, My Secret Life of an American Teenager. Right. Now, which is on Disney Family, I believe. Yeah, yes. Which, which is always, I always, and you have to play it, but it's, now what your, your role is as a principal or a teacher? I was, I was the love interest for Molly Ringwald, okay. who was, um, now, what was that? Just starting to now, okay, yes. now because everyone grew up watching Pretty in Pink and Sixteen Candles, and you know, if you're over forty, they're such a John Hughes is such a big part of us. I mean, you of know, course. and now now the younger kids are watching it. Like my my girlfriend's niece in college, they they watch it. But for us, especially for me, like when Breakfast Club came out, I was in, we used to watch that. My senior year in college, we had a we had someone had a TV uh, VD, VCR, and it was such a big thing. And now all of a sudden, you grow up watching Pretty in Pink, and they're they're icons. So now you got to play a love. I mean, what's that like? I mean, did you know she was in it when you auditioned, or how did how did that go? It about? was actually a really funny sort of. It's a funny story. I we have some friends in Venice uh, who knew Molly, and they're like, Molly has been in uh, New York for a little while, and she's going to move to the to the west side to to LA to do this show and um, we want to introduce her to you and your wife because she's got kids and she doesn't really know you know anybody or you know what the good schools are we're like I mean my wife's mouth just dropped you know for all the reasons we're like okay we will try and act normal <laughs> while telling Molly Ringwald what the good schools right, are right yeah it's like, it's like, and, and that's so funny it's like because as I said now people don't really understand because she's not around as much but I mean she, those guys were like rock star I mean they were like yeah. bigger than big back yeah. then yeah, I mean, Molly has done a whole chapter where she lived in France, and she, you know, she she's really done it. And uh, so she, we got to know her, and she had uh, just one girl at the time, and then she got pregnant with twins while she was on the show, and um, she brought me in to read as this love interest, and uh, I was like, great, Molly, you know, you don't have to do that, but that's really nice, um, and uh, I ended up booking the job, and. It was great. It was really fun working with Molly Ringwald. I mean, it was hilarious. We 
carpooled from Venice over to the studio, uh, over to, what was that, Sony, where we were shooting it? And I was like, I am in a car with a pregnant Molly Ringwald. <laughs> but yeah, it's <laughs> funny, because I, I, like, I was at a wedding a, while, a few years back, and I, my buddy uh, knew Tina Yothers, and I was like, from Family Ties, I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm at a pr- I'm wedding with a, a Tina Yothers, and yeah. she's pregnant. So now, when, when this show, and you're on for a few seasons. Yeah. Now, but I think initially, I think she was just comfortable, because... She was pregnant when I first started doing it with twins. So I think she wanted to be comfortable with somebody who just knew her, you know. Do you how many kids do you have? I have two kids. Okay, so And so I think she was just a little in, I think that's why she wanted to bring me in cuz she was like, you know, she felt pretty insecure about her body. After she had the kids, she looked amazing and she, you know, went on to do a bunch more episodes and they brought me back for that and that was great. I always wonder and I've talked to people who are on these shows and like Disney and Disney Family. All of a sudden, you know, and it's weird because your career is you, your fan base. Like, I mean, if people knew you were the caveman, you would have those caveman fans. But you have the older women who remember you as Skipper. But now when you're in a show that is a hit, and it's been a long time, and you're, you have a very memorable face, people recognize you and, you, and they know you were on probably a lot. Did you start getting, like, kids recognizing you or teenagers? Because I've always heard that sort of weird, like, people, like, and then the funny thing is, though, and my friends who have kids say a lot of times the parents will watch the kids even when they're teenagers to make sure they're okay so then the parents know you and then like me I used to watch iCarly because it was just a funny ass show I don't love kids but it was well written I knew a writer who said check the show up but for you did you did start getting like noticed by people that you never thought when you're doing comedy in New York that the kids would be recognizing you yeah it was definitely strange I mean it, to be uh, to be fair I probably wouldn't have watched uh, you know, The Secret Life had I not been on it. But then once I started watching it, I was like, this is trying to be for teens what Sex and the City was, you know, trying to discuss it in a frank manner. And sometimes I was like, I, I don't even know if I can watch this. Like, this is hard to watch. And so I feel bad because castmates from that show, I've run into them at auditions and stuff. And they'd be like, hey, you know, it's so great to see you. And I was like, wow, I think I had to turn you off because it was like too hard to watch. But it's, yeah, that whole from an audience from you know has been great too because you just you never expect that those people are gonna you know they're the most enthusiastic and and care about that show and and so it was great i definitely went into it with a little bit like uh abc family is this where i really want to be but of course it was it it turned out to be great have you had kids recognize you the, the kids ever come up like teenagers ever come up to you or are they, yeah, or, some, or are they too cool like you never know sometimes they're like yeah uh, I know there's nothing too cool about me but yeah there's definitely some people that have done that and so it's it's been good and I sort of feel like now I'm at this place where, you know, I, I'm the dad now on a lot of commercials. Which is weird because it's so funny. It, it, you think about it, like when everyone starts out, and that's one thing, good thing, is that you're not, you know, you were never like the, 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 the teen hunk, you know? So mm-hmm. you if you get older, you age gracefully and you can be the dad. A lot of those guys, it's like that, the Jam Michael Vincent, no one to see him as a dad, you know, yeah. just make it all fat and bloated. I don't even know if he's still alive. But for you though, it must be it must be cool because the thing is, you are a dad, so it's like you going like I, I see auditions sometimes, and they go, you know, with dad, and then you're like, well, I don't I don't know how to be a dad. I mean, for you, it must be cool. I mean, just because you are a dad. Yeah, it it is a good place to have an outlet for that stuff, and I definitely feel like um, it's it's a great place to. Um, I did a bunch of these commercials for Oscar Mayer, and I definitely felt like I was speaking from the heart because they're. And they let you improv a lot in them, which is really great. And I think I had a, um, I don't know, all that stuff is very close to the surface. And I would like to be able to use some of that and and transfer it and play a dad on television. You know, I feel like I've kind of earned my stripes doing it in commercials and stuff like that. Well, the Oscar Mayer spots are, 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 they're good just because, 
I think we all, you know, especially as you get older, I mean, I, I said I just turned 50, and you sit there, and I know one point when it's the whole no, yeah. no campaign, and you're yeah, like. Yeah, that is my life. Yeah, but yeah. It, it's just, you sit there, and I, I wouldn't think about it, but of asking a, uh, you know, your your teenage, your, your uh babysitter on Facebook, you yes. know, the friends or, or the skinny jeans. I mean, yeah. it's just, you sit there and as you get older, you sit there and sometimes I think every guy can relate to that because you sit there and go like, I just bought a pair of red jeans and yellow jeans and now they're cool, but they're not tight. Yeah. But I can wear them just because, you know, I perform and stuff like that. So we're, we, we have a different level. But, and then when I go, if I wore them, if I wore them back east, people go, oh, he's from uh, Hollywood. Right. But right. it's a lot of times, I think it hits the everyday man because they are things that guys, and things. It's one of the commercials where they don't make you look stupid. I think a lot of commercials make men look stupid, and that's yep. nothing, it's, but it's like, you know, oh no, you wouldn't do that. But this, it's just, you're going, hey, you know, is it cool? It, it makes you, like, you want to be hip, but you're, you're not sure. I think I think that's why I like those commercials, because, you know, it, no one sits there and watches and go, oh, this guy's stupid. They go, oh, this guy, he wants no. to be hip. We all yeah. want to be hip. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess that's really where the... That line about the can I be Facebook friends with my ba- with the babysitter was a line that I just improvised. Okay, so one day and I was and it came from a thing. I, I became friends with our old babysitter when she went off to college, okay. and I was like, oh, this is so great. She's at Vassar. I can you know see her you know on campus. And then I was like, wait a minute, some of these are her partying, and it's getting later, and right. there's more drinking. I was like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> And it was just like, well, we're in a whole new world, world here, and thankfully they were open to that kind of stuff, and so it, it, it is great. And I, I, if I just honestly, if I just do those commercials for the rest of my life, like I'll be happy. They're really well done. They're really well thought out. They're very, they're very smart, you know. And I feel like you get to do this kind of comedy that I, I don't know. In television, they might uh, push it a little bit more, or I, I don't know. Well, it's such a huge campaign too. So when when you go when you went into that audition, did you know it was going to be a huge campaign? Or because a lot of times it's like with TV series, you talk to people and they they go in for one episode, yeah. and then they people go, "Wow, people yeah. like this character, like the show." When you went in, did did you think? Because what was the first? Well, one? they they did lay they kind of laid out the strategy um, at, right when I got it. They were like, "Look, at, we want to show these right during Modern Family. Like, we want to create a family that's the Oscar Mayer family, and it's going to go right up against those guys on prime time." And I was like great that's really lofty i don't know that people watch commercials you know in the same way that they do television but it's very noble and, it, and it's turned out to be a good strategy you know um have something that's just as funny as the the programs that they're airing it against and see what happens and so it was yeah when i first went in they told me it was going to be a bunch of spots and it was for this director named matt Azelton, who's just really really great and really great at um He's kind of a guy's guy, but then he also creates this set that's very safe and secure, and, and, and he's just one of those guys I would just sort of march off a cliff for him, you know? And there's definitely been spots where there was one where I had to, like, talk like this sort of gangster character and, like, try and be cool to that's the, my the, kids. the yeah. breakfast one. Yeah, yeah, and I read it, and I was like, oh, well, I don't know if I can do this, and it was so much fun. That, like, was one of my, you know, it was just great, because also the kids are very talented that we were. Well, it's with. funny, as we're talking about it, more of them are coming into my head, and it, what's cool is it this may you really as an actor in them you really have to play a lot of different parts because the one you're like the innocent dad can I do this and then the one you're coming down hey and, and we all we all hated when our dads did that yeah and then the one where you're I believe you're um you're lying like you're barbecuing right so yeah, that, yeah, but yeah that's yeah. also another role because it shows I mean we all have so many different 
facets to us and how we act that yeah. just and I don't I think if you know if someone couldn't act they couldn't pull that crap off because it'd be like you'd be like oh yeah it's the same thing but each one it's like almost a they're, they're playing a different character much yeah. must make you happy because yeah. it's not going okay you're a doofus you know it's going okay you're trying to you know bullshit to these guys because yeah. we all do that and we're going to do that and they catch you and then you're like ah so it must be cool for you it is great. I think it also plays into my skill set of like I'm I'm a little bit dyslexic. Like I, I don't like learning lines. Like thirty seconds of material is about perfect for me. And then the fact that you get to improv a little bit, you know, I think that that's just a really, um, I don't know. It just plays to my skill set really well. Um, so, but the, you know, the credit is to the copywriters and the guys that put those together. And I also have to say it's it's something I struggle with, but. You know, those commercials, everybody sees them, you know, versus being on a television show where you're like the eighth guy and it's on some, you know, you're trying to get people to watch. Everybody watches commercials, you know, and, and I've, I've noticed that, too. Like a lot of times, you know, you sit there and, and that's why people love going back. And that's I think people love watching old commercials where you sit there and you go back. And a lot of these guys you see in commercials gradually end up on series. Yeah, and it's because it's a point where. And they're, but they end up on smart series. Like right. I know, I don't know his name, but the guy on Thirty Rock who was the yes. yeah, bald yeah. writer. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. he played one where he's running with coyotes and, yeah. and stuff. And then they sit there and they go, "Wow, this person has a lot of talent." Yeah. And so I think that's the one good thing. I mean, true if you're sitting there on like a, you know, there, there are idiots on commercials. Yep. But then you sit there, and so many actors did commercials. I mean, Nia Vardalos will be on in a few weeks. But I just recorded her. She was doing voiceovers for Bud Light and you know everyone gets a, a start and it's like but the thing is you you've acted and you have the chops and I think people know that and I think when they see that commercial like when I said as you was a guest I said right. all right I, I, I want to get that guy yeah and then I type it in and then I look at your yeah. resume and you go wow you know then you sit there and go this guy's been working I saw that in one of your blurbs I think it was your Wikipedia page it said you did stand up so I was like all right so I think it really it, it can be so much good exposure especially for a campaign like what you're doing is because people are always going to see it. And Oscar Mayer is a huge brand in lunch meat. Middle America won't buy anything. I mean, yeah, in Philly, we'll buy Deets and Watson or you'll buy Boar's Head. Yeah. But there, everyone grew up with Oscar Mayer. Yeah, and plus, uh, the landscape has changed. Like, Budweiser isn't making funny commercials anymore. Like, some these guys that were, like, the mainstay of the, you know, the commercial market, they're, they're not doing the same stuff. They've got new ownership and there's... Right. I don't really quite understand it, but so there's room for somebody else to step up there and and in this world that we live in, you know, like whether when you have a hit, whether it used to just be, you know, this there was this hierarchy of like movies were the big thing, you know, right? And then everything else fell underneath it. Now, a hit or a is a hit is a hit, no matter where you are. If it's a podcast or if it's a commercial, if it's a TV show, I feel like that playing field is really leveled. You know, it's just where even YouTube. You, I mean, people get thousands of exactly. hits on YouTube and they get deals. Like people, and unfortunately, some of them don't have any talent. Yeah. But, but if people are going to watch it, yeah. you can't. And I always say you can't begrudge those people. I know some people go, oh, you know, I, I know some, you know, I can't believe this guy got this many hits and he's getting this. Yeah. You can't begrudge because you know that's their that's their point in fame. They're not going to do anything else. Yeah. And, and the bottom line is, you don't want to be. The that lady who sits there going sitting on a toilet. Yeah. Do you, do you want to be known as that? I mean, yeah. You, but no. I mean, would you want to be known that? And that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. My son, by the way, is the guy who's doing half the hits on most of those videos. Is he? <laughs> he's like, he's nine years old, and that is how he finds. That's his entertainment. That's his MTV. You know, he it's, goes on YouTube and he just, you know, picks around, uh, clicks around, and it's just crazy because it's that's how he 
finds out new talent, new music shows, you know, and they've that whole world has its own stars. And they know where to go. Like, I don't know where to go. Like, I had an old clip on YouTube. I don't know how to make it popular. A good friend of mine is a a, a comic, well, not anymore, but he used to be my mentor. And his son is like, does reviews and like, he's 14 and he does these reviews of movies and TV and then all of a sudden companies are like, well, we'll take over your page. We'll put the art back, but we'll give you 60%. You're like, Wow, and like I even know how people, I wouldn't know how to get hits on on YouTube. You know, I yeah. wouldn't know how to do that. There, there's a whole uh, genre of stuff on YouTube that's just people playing a video game and commenting while they're playing a video game, and so it's kind of back to that mystery science theater, Beavis and Butthead sort of world. But it's even le- it's even lazier in a way, you know, because it's just like you're just playing a video game, and that's a little hard to get your head around because you're like, wow. You know, you can't aspire. And my son was like, you know, he wants to do that and make his own little recordings and stuff. But and that's good, though. Get some, and it's, it's good that they can do it now without taking a huge chance. Like, right. before, you know, like student movies would cost so much and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. It would just kill you. So, you know, right now, because you're doing all those commercials. Yeah. Now, do you have any other commercials running? Or are you auditioning a lot? Or are you getting uh, I have more Oscar Mayer stuff that's in the that's coming out. So, so that, that's, yeah. a, that, I mean, you know that's, you, you yeah. have that work for a yeah. while, and you yeah. have the past work, and then they'll all playing them. Are you doing any other commercials right now? or? Um, you know, I just did something for this director I really like a lot named David Shane. I don't know when that's coming out. We just did sort of a funny or die thing together, so that was great. Um, and... Uh, don't know if I have any other commercials that are coming out right now. Are you getting auditions up now off of the because like, I've heard when you become a known face in commercials, people sit there and they want you. Like they say, okay, this guy is we know him for this, so now you're the father guy. Yeah. Which is great because you know there's a very good chance you'll yeah. get it. And if it's from a casting director that worked before, yeah. Does does that happen to you a lot? Um yes and no. I mean I think it's it's tough because I'm ready to like, okay, I'm ready to graduate to, you know, television. I've done my time doing commercials, like, and I feel like you're subject to uh, the whims and trends of, of casting right now. Last year, a lot of the dads that were cast were like overweight guys, you know, big guys. That was sort of the trend in, in you know, and I feel like Modern Family has gone a long way to um, to have the dad that's, you know, more uh, grounded, I guess, and naturalistic, which is which is great for me. And so I don't know. I'm really just hoping I can parlay this opportunity into something like that. Um, now, would you ever just start doing stand up again? Have boy, you, that's have a really you thought funny about question. it because it's um, so funny. Because now the thing that works also is now you can probably get more stage time because yeah. because you're a known face, and they go they go and the thing is they'll go okay yeah. And you know how it used to be like back east was a big thing, and when you had like hardly any part, they'd say seen in whatever, and like seen him back to school. This yeah, comic, who was like in the hot tub. It's like well, he wasn't seen it, but now they can sit there and they could say oh you know the Oscar Mayer guy. Yeah. Would you think about doing stand up again? Have you have you tr- I mean, have you tried it or anything? It's I have not since I left it. Um, I've done some hosting gigs and stuff like that when people ask me. And now, you know, there's just this thing with social media where I'm like, oh, I'll get an idea. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of a a comedy joke. And then I'll just put it on Facebook and just kind of happy to see how it does on Facebook. Do you shoot shoot your own stuff? (laughs) Well, that's the other thing now, too. I sort of feel like the opportunities with Funny or Die, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of... That's just as exciting as, you know, going on and, and doing a show. You know, you put something on Funny or Die and you get, 
you know, 500 or a thousand hits. Like I never performed comedy for a thousand people. Like that's, right. that's fun to me. And you can kind of be more strategic about so how it. How does it work? You pay something, you just put it up there. They put anything up. Funny or, or die. Yeah. I mean, I, I know the website, but they, you put yeah. stuff, they just put it up. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty much a meritocracy, but like everything else there, you know, you, it kind of helps to know somebody. Um, I just put something up there recently that was uh, something I wrote with a friend called the Tom Hanks Fan Academy. And it was about this guy who looks you sort of... Tom Hanks. And that's yeah. an, you, I know you were in a, a car commercial, I believe, a while back. Okay. Oh, yes. Right. It was the... You were driving, I Yeah, think. it was a Chevy, a Chevy one where we were I singing. Think, yeah. Yes. So, no, yeah. I, I thought you looked like Tom Hanks. Do yeah, you oh, get well, thank that? Thank you. Yeah, I do get that from time to time. And uh, I was like, well, it'd be funny to do something about that. So I did a short about this guy who kind of looks like Tom Hanks and wants to make some money off of it. So he opens this place where you can practice for your chance encounter with Tom Hanks. Okay. It's like on an <laughs> elevator or getting out of a taxi. And, and once you graduate, then you can have your real thing. And do, so, you, do you enjoy writing that stuff? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's so much fun for me. It's like my... You know, I don't expect that anything's going to really... It's like being in a punk band or something. You know, it's my, you know, it's my poker night doing that kind of stuff. Uh, and I feel like now with all these other avenues that are out there, they're just as valid as, you know. Um, so, yeah, stand up, I don't know. How do you, I mean... I honestly, I, I, I got out of it for so long. I did it out here when I, my friend had an Italian restaurant. And right. I just started started an open mic not a book night there and I didn't done comedy forever I knew no comics out here and the ones I knew aren't going to come out and do an Italian restaurant right and so I took an ad off Craigslist and I got some weird videos but then I did it and I just have fun and I, I luckily enough where I'll do occasional gigs like a guy named Rich Scheidner a very big comic is a friend and so he'll, he'll we said oh we'll do some we're both from South Jersey we'll do some gigs here and there but I, I, I just do you know I don't really do it out here because my feeling is I'm not, I mean, I'll do it if I can do 30 minutes. And when I go, when I was in a long distance relationship when my girlfriend just moved out, yeah, I would go back east. I would book weekend shows because I could book them and I could do 30 minute sets. But right. you know how it is. It's like, it's like you're not in New York. You're not for you. You're not, you're not 25 anymore. You yeah. Know? So that's the thing. Yeah. It is sort of a young man's game. And I feel like that is true also for those viral videos and stuff. But I think if you can just kind of let go of it and just sort of be kind of zen about it, you know, it can be, I don't know, it can be. But for you, I think for a viral video would work because people know you. I mean, that's, that's the difference. People, I mean, if you think about how many thousands, I mean, do people come up to you for the commercials at all? Yeah, to, yeah, just because they're out there and so much, I mean. And they see it and they're, yeah. I, I would say that's probably another different crowd. There's probably yeah. fathers that come up to you yeah. when you went from the Sex and the City women yeah. to teen thing to the fathers. It just shows your yeah. diversity of your career, which you must be very proud of. I, yeah, I'm sorry. I just still am so blessed that people are watching commercials. You know, I'm just so thankful that they're not devoing through them. And I am touched when somebody says something because I'm like, wow, this is really great. You know, like. You you watched it and you responded and I don't know it, it's great I don't know how much longer that world is going to last for but it's good to it's good to be in it you know I bet people get pissed if they see you eating a different kind of cold cut or lunch with your party that's like, right my Super Bowl party I got to have Oscar Mayer do you really yeah oh, did they did they tell you that or you just, you, know, no, you have no, to no, no I'm kidding okay no, I'm saying because I know a guy who did Budweiser commercials and he, they it's like he had to be that I uh, I did get to drive the truck. Uh, yep. The Wiener Mobile, yeah. Now, that must have been awesome. It was pretty great. There was like four people from Oscar Mayer like telling me exactly how to drive and not, you know, so fast because those people that drive it have gone to like special schooling. Wow. And, yeah, but I got to do it because we were shooting it in a commercial and it, it was uh, it was right up there with uh, 
uh, top, you know, top three things I've ever done in my life. Did they give you a whistle? You know, the, the little yes, whistles. Yes, you know about that. The, you remember you that? Remember those? Yeah, we well, remember little whistles. Totally. Do they, yeah. they don't make them anymore? No, no, they do. They give those out when people would come up and stop us while we were shooting. See, now I got to go find a whistle. See, I wish I knew I would have said. I should have brought I you one. Bring me one. But we didn't know. We didn't know that. Anyway, uh, I want to thank you for coming on. Are you? Are you? Uh, are you on Twitter? Yes. Okay. What's your Twitter? Uh, it is Ben underscore Weber. Okay. Yeah. And on Facebook or anything? Yep, I'm on Facebook. Just Ben Weber. Do you have a website? I do not have okay. a website. You don't sadly. need one. Don't I don't one. need a website. But I want to thank you. It was great meeting you. And we, thank it's you. Good, good to come on. Was, and then, yeah, please uh, follow him on Twitter. Uh, Twitter Ben under slash Weber. Also follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. Um, you can also go to my website uh, CooperTalk.net. There's about uh, 225 episodes up there. Also, if you have a Google if you Google phone, the uh, Android phone, go to the Google Play Store and type in Cooper Talk one word to get my app. If you have an iPhone, go to CooperTalk.Podbean forward slash mobile forward slash you get the iPhone app also iTunes and Stitcher Radio you can find me on there just uh, type in one word Cooper Talk and email me Cooper at Indy100 indie100.com I'd love to hear from you guys I want to thank you for listening remember uh, drink your water eat your vegetables and take your vitamins you'll be a happy person I'm Steve Cooper I'm only as hip as my guests you guys have a wonderful wonderful weekend and I'm going to go get some Oscar Mayer now for lunch I think I'm getting Oscar Mayer thanks for listening guys